Welcome back to Curious Combinations, an Everything's Unoriginal podcast. I'm A.F. Tanith, and today I'm covering Dark, Season 3, Episode 7 and 8, the very end of the show. You guys, I don't think I have ever been more disappointed by a show's ending. If you're surprised that I'm saying this, if you enjoyed the ending of Dark, I really don't know what to tell you. It's horrible writing that spits in the face of everything that I loved about this show, and the viewing experience of these two final episodes was truly devastating for me. Even Game of Thrones didn't get me this bad. At least with Game of Thrones, we had warning signs years before the finale that the final season was probably not going to be great. Dark, though. I have never seen something so wonderful, so completely fall apart. Season 3 as a whole is so bad for me, the back half especially, that it ruins the entire show retroactively. I almost started crying while I was watching the finale, not because of the bittersweet ending or because of the tragic romance or the grief of losing so many characters or anything like that. I almost started crying because I will never be able to rewatch those first two seasons of this show that I adored without having them tainted by what might really be the worst clusterfuck of an ending I have ever seen. If you enjoyed the ending of Dark, this episode of the podcast is probably not for you. This podcast is going to be twice as long as normal. My scripts are normally between six and 8,000 words, and this one clocks in at over 14,000. And believe me, I have no intentions of trying to convince anyone who did enjoy the ending that they shouldn't. If you enjoyed the ending, I am happy for you. I am, however, going to spend the next hour, maybe two hours of my life meticulously going through every detail of why the penultimate and final episodes of this show ruined the rest of it. And the sense of utter devastation that I feel right now at this fact is not something that I really want to spread to other people. If you liked the show, skip this episode and check out something else that I'm covering. Maybe go vote on what I'll be covering next or recommend me something else. If you enjoyed this show, don't let me ruin it for you. Though I've got to admit, I really don't understand how anyone could have watched this and enjoyed it. I am floored by how bad it was, and by how I seem to be one of only a small handful of people who genuinely hated it. It starts on a truly awful note. I've got to tell you guys, the Schrodinger's cat thing really pisses me off. Like, if you want to start a petty nonsense fight with me, Schrodinger's cat is a good way to try. Because the internet loves Schrodinger's cat, and does not, for a single second, ever seem to understand it. So let me explain. The common understanding of Schrodinger's cat is the way that Dark explains it, which is as follows. Schrodinger proposed an experiment to make the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics understandable to a layperson. The decay of a tiny bit of radioactive material is rigged as the trigger for a Rube Goldberg device to kill a cat trapped out of sight within a box. In the Copenhagen theory, though, a particle like this radioactive trigger is hypothetically in all possible states or places until it is perceived and the perception forces it into one state or another. And that means that the cat is, until observed, both alive because the radioactive material has not yet decayed, and dead because it has at the very same time. Except that is obviously not true. More importantly, Schrodinger's cat as a thought experiment was literally designed to show that this is not true. The Schrodinger's cat thought experiment was not designed to use the Copenhagen theory to blow everyone's minds with paradoxically living yet dead cats. Schrodinger designed his thought experiment to criticize the Copenhagen theory and specifically refer to the whole thing as ridiculous. Schrodinger's cat is specifically designed to illustrate a misunderstanding of quantum theory. It is not true. It is not really how anything works. That is the whole 
fucking point of it. And since the thought experiment was devised, quantum physicists have found plenty of evidence that wave function collapse is not simply the result of human observation. Of course it's not. What arrogant lunatic would ever believe that human eyes alone can force a particle out of quantum superposition? Quantum state collapse can happen via any interaction with another particle. But people that want to bank on your confusion, or people who are confused themselves, like to bank on our cultural misunderstanding of the meme that has become of Schrodinger's cat, to peddle pseudoscience and to write bad science fiction. In case you cannot tell by the tone of my voice, this kind of pisses me off. If you're still confused, I have found for you a very good, clear, simply put write-up of why Schrodinger's cat is not what the internet thinks it is on the West Texas A&M University website, and I will link that in the show notes. There are, of course, also myriad other resources you can use to research Schrodinger's cat to assure yourself that no, the cat is not both alive and dead, that is not how quantum physics works, that's not how thought experiments work, that's not how anything works. And given that apparently the writers of Dark think that this is how things work, we are off to an incredibly bad start, and I'm already in a bad mood. So let's try to divorce ourselves from the pseudoscience here and get into the plot that the pseudoscience is trying to prop up, shall we? As prisoner Marta runs into Jonas's house to rescue him from the 2020 Vinden A apocalypse, the Marta who shoots Jonas is stopped from going inside by Partaz B, thus splitting Vinden A into Vinden A and Vinden AA. This confirms that there are three extant versions of Marta. There is Marta A from Vinden A, Marta B1 who saves Jonas and is killed by Adam, and Marta B2 who gives birth to No Name and grows up to be Eva. Then we are on to Tanhouse as we have never seen him before, because this is a version of Tanhouse that we've never seen before. We're going to be calling him Tanhouse Prime, because at because as the never-before-seen upward-swinging door to the bunker hints, this Tanhouse is not from either Vinden A or Vinden B. He is from Vinden Prime, the hitherto unknown Vinden that got apocalypsed even harder than any of the others. On to 2021 Vinden A, where Noah is still digging out the collapsed tunnels by hand. He is, however, working with Elizabeth on this mission now, and I'm disgusted. This actor is constantly eye-fucking everyone and anyone around him, and that his love interest is a tiny little girl makes me want to vomit. Stop eye-fucking that little girl. Also, the religious indoctrination that's happening here between the two of them is exactly the reason I need Peter to still be alive. Noah is essentially raising his own bride now, and he's indoctrinating her into a cult and grooming her into a sexual relationship so that he can help stabilize the loop. Let me repeat, this makes me want to vomit. I knew this guy was a child murderer, but I had no idea he was a child groomer, too. Back in 1890, Jonas is still trying to get his time machine working after two years of effort. We see his attempts here earn him a nasty burn on his arm, and perhaps this scene is meant to imply that that is the truth behind his horrific scarring in the future. Because I really have to say that the given explanation for his scarring still doesn't make any goddamn sense. Maybe it's a translation thing, but in the English translation of the German dialogue, he said that the time traveling did that to his body. Except that doesn't make any sense, like I said. Chrome Claudia's storyline involves even more time travel than adult Jonas's does, and yet Chrome Claudia did not lose her hair or suffer damage to her face the way adult Jonas did. On the other hand, this could be simple sexism. Can't have an ugly woman on screen, can you? But I doubt that. I don't think this show is that sexist, and like I said, I assume that this is either another case of Adam lying to Jonas, or that the writers retconned the reason for his scarring. I assume that building this device is what actually turned Jonas into lumpy Voldemort. But here's the thing. Eva has the same fucking wormhole on a black pyramid in her world. It is not, as far as I can tell, the equivalent to the wormhole created by the apocalypse. Given its location in the caves rather than the ruins of the power plant, it seems to be the equivalent to the wormhole that Adam created. That means someone built it. 
who? Eva certainly doesn't have Adam's scars. No name doesn't have Adam's scars. No one that we see in Vinden B has scars like Adam's, which brings me to one of my biggest complaints about this season overall. We spent so much time this season using the existence of Vinden B to retread territory already covered in season one and season two with increasingly less interesting twists. But we didn't spend any time, none at all, on exploring Eva or Eret Lux. We know virtually nothing about Eva's character development or evolving motivation over the course of her life, but I could have let that slide if not for this. We also know literally nothing about the development of technology in her world. Where did the universe hopping technology come from? Where did the sphere design for the universe hopping machine come from? The show spent so much time explaining where the wormhole in the tunnels came from, where the briefcase machine came from, where the apocalypse wormhole came from, and where the Sigmundus wormhole came from. And yet not a single moment's explanation was given to where the fuck interdimensional travel came from. It's ridiculous. Anyway, we see over the course of this episode that Bartos split from Jonas and Sigmundus. In fact, we get to see him seduced by Scargirl on Adam's orders so that she and Bartos can conceive Agnes and Noah, and so that Noah can go on to murder Bartos in that low-key ridiculous scene back in season two. I must remind you that the show treated a stab to the shoulder as a fatal wound at the time, having Bartos just slump over dead without screaming or even flinching or anything, and that I forgave it at the time because the rest of the show was just so damn good. And yeah, I'm mad enough now that I think I take my forgiveness back. That shit was dumb, and maybe it should have been my first warning sign of things to come. And before I move on, I do want to say that I don't entirely remember if I guessed that the guy Noah killed in that scene was Bartos, but I think I might have. I honestly don't even care enough at this point to go back and check, but maybe I did. But given this thing with Bartos and Scargirl, and with Noah and Elizabeth, and even with the implication of what must happen between Hannah B and Old Egon, this shit is nasty, you guys. Unfortunate implications ahoy. Scargirl, Noah, and possibly Old Egon literally traveled through time on Adam and or Eva's orders to conceive children necessary to further their cult's goals without the informed consent of the other parent. Maybe Hannah B. knew what she was getting into. We don't know for sure, but Jesus fucking Christ. Elizabeth and Bartos did not consent to this, and what Noah and Scargirl did to them is very rape-by-deception adjacent. Worse yet, they're only doing this because of Adam's brainwashing. If he hadn't indoctrinated them into his cult, they wouldn't be doing this. And if Claudia hadn't been manipulating him, he wouldn't have been doing it either. But I'm gonna get to that, because I have serious beef with Claudia now, and I intend to rant about it for a good long while. Speaking of Claudia, she and young adult Jonas are trying to turn that yellow sphere into a blue-black one. Why? Who the fuck knows? I don't even actually know what this yellow sphere is supposed to fucking be, except that it's something that can be turned into a wormhole. Apparently, some fans have taken to calling it a cosmic egg, which is such pseudoscience mumbo-jumbo that it makes me want to tear my hair out, and it doesn't make sense in this context anyway. For those that don't know, the comic egg concept has to do with early 20th century ideas of what might have existed before the Big Bang, and how the fuck would that ever get turned into a wormhole through time by hitting it with electricity or some stupid shit like that? I understand that the actual answer here is very simple. The actual answer here is just because the writers said so. But that is not what I was sold. That is my biggest hatred in any story. If there is no reason for what happens in a plot beyond because the writers said so, then that is not a well-constructed plot. And as far as mindless entertainment goes, that's fine. I don't enjoy it, but it's fine. Dark, though. 
Dark spent two seasons convincing me that it was not mindless entertainment. Dark spent two seasons convincing me that there were rules to this universe, that the writers were carefully constructing their narrative, that we were exploring determinism in a world involving time travel, and now they are telling me to just sit back, relax, and let them do whatever the fuck they want. After two seasons of building up a well-structured story, carefully telling the audience the rules and reinforcing those rules, now they want to just throw the rules out the window because they're the writers and what they say goes. How about no? That genuinely will be my repeated refrain throughout my entire recap of this and the next episode. The writers have gone back on the word this season. They don't tie up their loose ends, they don't obey their own rules, and they don't even explore their themes properly. But we'll get there. In the meantime, Jonas has hit rock bottom. He doesn't want to work on this device anymore, so he goes home to where his father hanged himself, and he hangs himself. It doesn't work, though. Noah saves him before he can strangle, and he decides to teach Jonas a lesson in the single worst instance of a writer shooting themselves in their own foot that I have ever seen in my life. Noah hands Jonas a gun, which Jonas immediately puts to his head and pulls the trigger. Except it doesn't work. Not because there aren't any bullets, not because he's accidentally left the safety on, simply because the universe won't let him. Because time won't let him. It is nonsense, and it reinforces the concept of the stability of the time loop in the worst possible way. The point of the scene is to clarify, as the rest of the show until now has done, that nothing within the loop can be changed. Except, here's the thing, until this moment, that was never a cosmic intervention kind of idea. Until this moment, it was repeatedly stated by everyone's grand speeches that the time loop was the result of desire. The time loop was the result of people going after what they wanted and it leading them down the path that they were trying to avoid. It was a whole thing of the road to hell being paved with good intentions, tying in quite nicely with the show's overall toying with the concepts of paradise and hell. But now we find that Jonas's desires don't actually matter at all. It's not that his youthful desires lead him toward the path of becoming Adam, regardless of whether he can imagine harboring Adam's desires now. It's that fucking time doesn't care what Adam wants at all, apparently. He's going to grow up to be Adam whether he wants it or not, and he cannot stop the loop to the point that guns will magically jam and unjam if and when someone decides to kill him. Like... Guys, I forgave the scene in the last season when the same shit happened to Noah because I assumed it was a coincidence. I assumed that Adam simply knew he wouldn't die at Noah's hands and so he wasn't afraid of Noah's gun. But no, guns just don't fucking work on him. Quote, time won't allow it because time has its own fucking will now. It is the stupidest shit I have ever seen and it flies in the face of what the writers have said before. I am so angry. Worst of all, it flies in the face of what the writers are going to say in the rest of this episode and the next. But we'll get there. For now, Noah is showing Jonas that he's dug the passage out again, but that it's not currently open. It will reopen, though, and then Adam will lead them all to paradise. Before that, though, Noah and Jonas are going to forge a friendship that ends in betrayal. To be honest, I don't really get the point of Adam telling Noah about the betrayal here, but I guess the point must just be what the point of everything else turned out to be. Stringing the audience along with red herrings disguised as clues until the end arrives to just throw all the clues in the bin with two entire universes. The in-universe expression of that idea being, of course, that everything has to happen the way it's always happened, which is an idea supported by Time's intervention in Jonas's attempted suicide, and refuted by Claudia's claims in the next episode. Again, we will get there. Again, I am angry. Back in 1904, though, Scargirl, aka Celia, is giving birth to a baby boy named Hanno, and the look of muted horror on Bartas's face implies that he recognizes this name. Except, um, when did he find out Noah's real name? When did that happen? 
And then, somehow, given the look of completely unrestrained horror on his face when his second child, Agnes, is born, surely that's the moment he realizes his Hanno is Noah, not this moment here? So what is the point of Bartosz's reaction shot here? It is just another truly bizarre choice that the season has made, and I feel like I'm losing my mind. But back in the 80s, the audience gets another major hint that Tanhouse Prime is not in Vinden A or Vinden B. He is in the bunker, but the bunker should be wallpapered over for Noah's own prototyping by this point, meaning that this is not Vinden A. Between this hint and the upward swinging door, it is more than enough to piece together that this is an entirely new world that we have not seen before. Back in the post-apocalypse, Noah and Jonas have grown up. They're working with Claudia to turn the yellow orb into an angry blue one, but it's still not quite right. Noah tries to convince Jonas that it's Claudia who is sabotaging their efforts, and it turns out he's right. Claudia A is working with Claudia B and Eva to make sure things happen on a strict timetable so that they can uphold the knot. Except, there's a problem with that. Given the earlier gun scene, I've gotta ask, fucking why? We've seen confirmation now that the knot upholds itself. If time can jam a gun because it wants to, why are all of these people running around upholding the knot and forcing everyone to do the same? How about we all just sit down and refuse to do anything and see what the hell time does to fix the problem? Clearly, it is not as simple as the knot would just collapse, or else that gun scene couldn't happen. If the knot must be upheld by the participants lest it collapse, then time itself couldn't have not allowed Jonas to kill himself. If there was any real risk of the knot simply collapsing, that would have been the moment for it to happen. If there was any choice other than to uphold the knot, it would have been then. Except as Noah says, time won't allow it. So the knot upholds itself, with or without the character's compliance or defiance. So why the fuck must anyone work to uphold the knot? I understand why they are doing that. I'm asking why they must. And more than that, I'm asking if the show itself understands why they supposedly must do anything. I'm going to circle back to this idea later once Claudia's true motivation is revealed, though. So just hold on to this thought for a minute. Because Claudia A. is still trying to understand her own older self's motivations at this point. She's stuck on what Crone Claudia said about Regina living if everything goes right, and she shoots Claudia B. dead. More than that, she takes Claudia B.'s time travel orb and her identity. I wasn't sure upon first viewing if Eva was supposed to recognize that a switcheroo happened here, but I suppose since she never confirms that she's suspicious and nothing ever comes of any potential suspicion, it doesn't matter whether or not she realized that there were shenanigans afoot. So Eva hands Claudia A the schematics for the briefcase-style time machine and tells her to deliver them to Claudia A so that they can get to Tanhouse. And it's here that we really start having a problem. It's addiction problems, specifically a single word that's throwing everything off. And I assumed until now that it was a translation thing, because the stable time loop has, of late, been referred to as a knot. And that is a really useful word choice, especially given the writer's use of the infinity symbol. So I want you right now to picture a figure eight knot in your head. If you don't know, you can look it up to help you visualize, but I will explain it simply. It is a thread with an infinity symbol tied into it, essentially. Imagine it as a thread or a rope entering stage left, heading toward stage right, then knotting around itself and ultimately continuing toward stage right without any more tangles after the knot. That's what Adam and Eva's lives are. It's not as clean as an infinity symbol or a figure eight knot, of course, but those work as an oversimplification of the concept. We don't know the full extent of Eva's life, so we will leave her on the table for right now while we look at Adam. Adam's life, as far as we know, goes back as early as 1888. So if we imagine time as a string and his life as the knot in the string, this is when the knot begins. The string of fate knots in 1888, not with Jonas's birth, but with the earliest date that he time travels to. The earliest point in the metaphorical string of time at which Jonas affects the timeline. 
So we've established that the knot does not begin with his birth, and just as it does not begin with his birth, it does not necessarily end with his death. The knot ends the last time Adam meddles. As far as we know, this is sometime around 2054. That is when the string of fate will smooth out again and leave the knot behind. Do you have that image in your head now? A big tangle that follows Adam through 1888 to 2054? Don't bother trying to factor in Eva's interference right now because it's irrelevant for what I'm trying to explain at the moment. Just picture that big tangle Adam creates between the years 1888 and 2054, the tangle that includes everyone from Charlotte and Elizabeth to Doris and Egon to Katerina and Ulrich and Hannah and Mikkel and everyone the hell else. It's one big goddamn mess of tangled string, and given that so many points are paradoxes and can only exist because the knot exists in the first place, it cannot be untangled. But it does, inherently, end. The end is not great, given that it comes over 30 years after the apocalypse, but it is an end to the knot. The knot does not extend into infinity, not as far as we know. The knot only reaches so far back or so far forward as something within the knot continues to alter the flow of time. If something inside the knot pulls in another part of the thread, that part of the thread becomes part of the knot. So, imagine the year 3000 on the string. At that point, it's just a piece of string again. It is not part of the knot. It is a smooth, unaffected piece of string that continues off into infinity. What I'm saying is that time in this show does not actually loop. We are not trapped in a Groundhog Day type of thing here. In Dark, time is a knotted string. That is the logical conclusion of the rules that the writers have spent two plus seasons crafting. But now... Now they want to talk about next time, and when this happens again, and next loop. There is no next loop! That's not the way the rules of this universe were written. Time does not loop in dark. Time is knotted in dark. What's the difference? If you can't parse it yet, let me try to help you visualize it. A string with a knot in the center of it is not a closed system. It never cycles back to its own beginning. The two ends of the string do not touch. There's just a knot in the middle. The knot might cross its own path many times, but there is no closed system here. When you reach the end of a string with a knot in the center of it, you do not begin again. You do not reach the end only to find yourself back at the beginning. So what would it look like if that were the case? What if Dark were a closed system? For Dark to be a closed system in a practical sense, the rope could not extend beyond the knot. It could also not exist before the knot. For dark to be a loop, the end of time would have to feed directly into the beginning of time. And while they've been alluding to that concept since they introduced the idea of an apocalypse, they have not actually shown this to be the case. The apocalypse does not end time. It does not present us with an end to touch back to the beginning. The end of time is somewhere far off in the distant future with a hypothetical big crunch or big rip or what have you. And even if it does happen to cycle back around to immediately feed into a big bang all over again. This is not practically relevant for our characters or our story here. There is no literal loop in Dark, no infinitely repeating magic time trap a la Mystery Spot and Supernatural. In Dark, time tangles into unimaginable complexity, but it does not loop upon itself. A time loop in the sense of what Dark is doing is not a closed system or a circle. It is only a complex knot in the timeline. There is no next time in Dark. The rules, such as they have been established for two seasons, give us a big tangle in the otherwise linear path of deterministic events that humans perceive time to be, and there is no next time. So what the fuck is everyone talking about? 
truly i think it's this that ruined the whole show for me if you want to do a we're trapped in a loop do a goddamn we're trapped in a loop show that's not what this is from the beginning this show has been established as an exploration of determinism in which you can't fight fate and in which the invention of time travel causes time to become almost incomprehensibly complex but it's not a fucking time loop so I'm going to get to why this matters in a little bit once we reach the reveal of Claudia's true motivation and her actions. For now, just hold in your mind the knowledge of everything I have just explained because you're going to need to refer to it soon. For now, we're back in 1910, with Bartas coming home to find his wife dead from the trauma of giving birth to Agnes. And Bartas looks to Hanno with a look on his face as if he's just recognized his son's future for the first time. I am also unclear on when Bartas found out that Agnes is Noah's sister, but I honestly don't care at this point. There's too much else to complain about. In the post-apocalypse, Noah and Elizabeth remain a distressingly creepy couple, to the point that the look on Elizabeth's face as Noah feeds her his propaganda once again makes me feel like my skin is going to fully crawl away from my body. And Charlotte and 2054 Elizabeth kidnap Charlotte's baby self. Noah, of course, blames Jonas, thinking that this is the betrayal Adam warned him about. The scene with Noah confronting Jonas is peak cringe, and I'm left feeling as completely baffled by Noah's relationship with Adam as ever. He hates Jonas, but worships Adam until he hates Adam, but he spent 33 years working to get back to Adam, and then he ends up kidnapping and murdering a bunch of kids, and we still don't actually have concrete answers on what the hell that was all about, except that it's another thing that just had to happen to stabilize a loop that apparently stabilizes itself anyway, and I'm about to blow my fucking brains out at this point. I am upset. Anyway, Noah promises a dead-eyed Elizabeth that he's going to get Charlotte back and leaves her as if he's actually got somewhere to go. Like, where are you going, bud? Why are you acting like your motives have changed? A minute ago, you needed to get the wormhole stable so that you could return to Adam, and now you need to get the wormhole stable so that you can return to Adam. Nothing has materially changed, except now you know your baby is lost in time when you inevitably abandon your wife to live in the apocalypse by her damn self. Have I mentioned Noah sucks? But back in Vinden Prime, Tanhouse turns on his machine. And then, in Vinden A's 1910, a woman and a little girl approach Bartas A, finally revealing to the audience who the hell Scar Girl is. Celia is Hannah's daughter with Egon, and I need you guys to sit in the reality of that for a minute with me. The bloodline is virtually identical on each side of the Infinity Baby, it has to be. In Vinden A, Agnes and Noah are the children of Bartos and Celia, and Celia is the child of Hannah and Egon. In Vinden B, Agnes and Noah must still be the children of Bartos and Celia, which means that Celia must still be the child of Hannah and Egon, which means that Hannah B winds up having a child with the time traveler who rescues her from the apocalypse during the miscarriage of her child with Ulrich. A time traveler who, I will remind you, is a man she knows from her own childhood. Even if things are different in the Vinden B of the 80s and she never told Egon that Ulrich raped Katarina, even if things are so different that Egon was never a police officer in the first place, she would still have tangentially known him as an old dude in her small town when she was a little girl. That shit is nasty. It's not Noah and Elizabeth nasty, but it's goddamn gross. How and why would this Egon and this Hannah ever get together anyway? Eva, what, makes them fuck at gunpoint? She brainwashes them or guilts them into conceiving a baby to uphold the knot? I am so disgusted by the possibilities. Ew. But speaking of disgusting, we get to see the adult Jonas actor in the Adam makeup for the first time here, and I've gotta admit, it is hella funny. This is Lumpy Voldemort. He's Lumpy Voldemort. If he could have just found a way to melt off his nose too, it would have been perfect. 
But anyway, Hannah tells Proto-Adam that Eva sent her to him, and she seems to show remorse for what she's done to her son for the first time in literally her whole life. And I say to that, too little too late. You abandoned your teenage son, and now you want to make it up to him after he's turned himself into Lumpy Voldemort? Get the fuck out of here. Hannah had a 33-year interval time machine this whole time, with no hint that it was out of radioactive fuel, and we never heard that she tried to, you know, find her kid. She comes because supposedly Eva told her that he was looking for her. But did she ever look for him? Did she go look for him in the apocalypse? Did she try to save him before the apocalypse? No, she didn't. Though, I will point out that before now, the show would have explained this as a desire of Hannah's. She made this decision because that's just Hannah's personality. That's the decision she would have made based on who she is and what she wants. But now the show seems to think that the knot can bend reality to uphold itself, so I guess it's not Hannah's fault that she didn't look for Jonas. It's time's fault. Jesus Christ. And the reappearance of Hannah doesn't even give me the catharsis that I had wanted her death to bring. I wanted her to get payback for the shit that she's pulled, but Adam is all sad and shit while he kills her, and it's got nothing to do with anything that she's done, and everything to do with what he feels like he has to do, and I am just so disappointed. On the plus side, though, Hannah is, I think, the very first instance of someone on TV reacting reasonably to being strangled. People on TV always grab their attacker's wrists for some reason, as if that's gonna help. Hannah, at least, tries to reach up and properly fight Adam off. She can't reach his eyes or his neck or his nose or anything that would have helped her fight back properly, unfortunately, but it's still something. And then, Adam sends Noah off on his entirely useless child-killing mission. The mission that I will remind you cost three little boys their lives and did not turn out to have anything significant to do with the larger plot. It was just something that had to happen to preserve the knot, I suppose. Given that this show is tagged on Netflix as a mystery, I feel completely robbed. The core mystery of the first season appears to have meant nothing to the overall show. It only happened because it had to, except as I'm going to get into during my recap of the next episode, that's fundamentally not true. I am so unimaginably furious with this goddamn show. But back in the post-apocalypse, Claudia is now a crone and adult Jonas needs to shave. She's lying to his face unabashedly, telling him that this time, and there is no this time because there's a knot, not a loop, this time he will be able to destroy the wormhole in the tunnels to break the knot. It almost makes sense, except that it completely doesn't. Jonas appears to believe her genuinely. This appears to have been his genuine heartfelt motivation in season one, and it appears to be in this scene as well. But we know that teen Jonas knows that Claudia tricks adult Jonas in exactly these circumstances. That he is tricked anyway pretty much officially cements Jonas as the single dumbest motherfucker to ever live. You know this won't work. You know you were convinced it would be different back in 2019. Why are you convinced it will be different now. What is wrong with you? And now we've reached the point at which my script for the podcast has just devolved into all caps screaming, but hey, at least I managed to stave off that impulse this long. So now we see Claudia rip out the pages from the end of the book, which I've got to admit, even in spite of my raging and ranting, is a fun little reveal. She did not ever carry those pages around. She just ripped them out and handed them over. It's very funny. I will point out, though, that all is not as it might first seem in this scene. If you don't really think about it, you might be tricked into thinking that Claudia goes off to her death on the very day that she gets to time travel again, but that is not true, despite what she's letting Jonas think. Claudia has been time traveling this whole time. She's posing as her Binden B counterpart, and she's got a spherical machine. She can jump around in the time loop or hop universes whenever the hell she wants, which means that at any point she could have done something different here. Or she could, if the universe couldn't apparently jam guns and shit to guarantee the knot itself. But once again, just stick a pin in that thought for now. The biggest rant is still coming, and I'm going to be pulling all of the shit back in together so that I can tear it the fuck down. 
No, I take that back so that I can show you how the show tears itself down. So then we're back around the events of the start of the episode. Bartos takes Marta B, the Marta B who will become not prisoner Marta, but Eva, to Eva's sanctum. He wants Marta B to join their team, and a confrontation between Marta B and Eva reveals the hilariously stupid origin of the slash across Eva's face. She gives it to her fucking self for literally no reason. None at all. It is so stupid. Eva tells her to wear it as a reminder of whose side she's on, but I think it's far less a reminder for Marta B and far more an expression of Eva lashing out at her younger self. For what? Everything and anything, I suppose. For not choosing differently. For daring to still have hope that she could choose differently. For fucking her alt-universe nephew and saddling her with a creepy, nameless, tripart son. Pick your choice. Whatever her motivation is, it doesn't make the scene any more interesting. This doesn't have the nuance of, say, Regina's self-harming behavior throughout her life as it's portrayed in the first season. This shit's just kind of dumb. And then we're back to the end of the previous episode. Prisoner Marta is, I don't know, eaten by the wormhole or some shit, which seems to wipe her and the wormhole itself out. But Adam is hilariously confused by his grand moment of, you know, nothing else happening. This can't be, he says, like every foiled villain ever. And then there's Claudia. Before the episode ends and I move on to the next one, though, there is one more little thing I want to point out. In the montage of earlier scenes that plays, we see Egon recognizing Claudia as the White Devil just before he dies. We will never get clarification on this. We will never know why Helgi thought of Claudia as the White Devil. We don't know if he ever knew that Crone Claudia, aka the White Devil, is businesswoman Claudia. We don't know if he ever met Crone Claudia. We don't know if Noah told him that she wanted to kill everyone. We don't even know for sure if he meant Crone Claudia. That's just what Egon decides rather arbitrarily as he dies. I do think there's something happening here in the themes that makes that moniker warranted, and I will get into that before I wrap up this unbelievably long episode, but I will warn you right now, I don't think the show explored those themes well. I see that they're there, but I think they're poorly done and rather muddled, definitely underutilized if nothing else. But now it's on to the next episode. We pick up immediately where we left off. You're dead, Adam says, pulling out yet another villain cliche. Except I really don't think he's the villain here. Not a hero, certainly. Maybe too dark to even be an anti-hero, but definitely not a villain. An anti-villain, perhaps? The only villain in this show that I see is Claudia. And we have almost reached my explanation on that front. Because Claudia has arrived to tell Adam that he is a moron. Except that I think it might be the writers who are morons instead. And stay with me while I go through this. You want to break the knot, she says, but every step you take keeps it intact. Okay, we've heard that before. Take a moment now to fully absorb what it means in this moment. Adam wants to break the knot, but every step he takes keeps it intact. Now I want you to think about who told Adam what to do every step of the way. Forget that stupid the gun won't fire shit for now, and just live in the knowledge that Adam has largely been doing what Claudia told him to do throughout his life. Uphold the knot in the past to break it in the near future. That has always been his goal, as teen Jonas, as adult Jonas, and now as Adam. Uphold the knot as it exists in your past so that you as you exist in your present can break it. For adult Jonas, that initially meant making sure Jonas doesn't rescue Mikkel so that adult Jonas can destroy the tunnels. For Adam last episode, that meant making sure that teen Jonas and adult Jonas grew up to become him so that he could destroy Mara's fetus once it had been conceived. And this plan never fucking works, because Claudia has been telling him all along that he cannot change the past. Adam and Eva have been pulling everyone else's strings, but she has been pulling theirs. Hold that thought for a minute. 
Now, I have no goddamn idea why Adam is so sure that killing Marta's fetus would actually destroy both universes. I guess that it's just that he thinks the two universes are anchored together, and so that you have to destroy something that's paradoxical in both at the same time. Other than that, it seems to be that Egon decides Claudia's the white devil thing all over again. Yes, it is a very good theory, but you seem awfully sure of it for someone who has no actual evidence. But Claudia is here to inform everyone of what I thought was pretty obvious for a while now. There is more than just Vinden A and Vinden B. Now, I didn't think it was going to be a Vinden Prime that predated both universes. I thought it was going to be a Vinden C or creating a melding of Vinden A and Vinden B or something like that. But I'm fine with Vinden Prime. Vinden Prime makes sense, more or less. These two universes being a branch off of an original universe mostly makes sense. And I haven't yet decided if I think Vinden Prime specifically creating Vinden A and Vinden B to inherently be tangled and knotted makes sense. I don't really think it does. But that's the kind of thing I am willing to go with. That's the kind of minor logical jump that I was expecting to get in this valley, not the enormous logical jumps we're going to be getting instead. Now, that Claudia knows about the existence of Vinden Prime is nonsense. It is yet another example of the Egon decides Claudia's the white devil thing that the show is doing. The show needs something to be true, but there's no concrete in-universe evidence, and so a character just comes to a realization in a moment of need, and now we're talking. If we had seen Claudia searching for clues to this conclusion, maybe mapping things out beyond a wall of pictures, I might be more willing to believe this. But as it stands, she just presents this as a, and then I realized, and I'm not here for that. It's a huge jump, it's very dumb, no thank you. But on we go. In Vinden Prime, Tanhouse invents time travel, or he tries to at least, and in trying, he destroys his own universe to create two others. We don't know how this is possible, of course. In Vinden A and Vinden B, time travel is invented within the knot and requires the presence of the nuclear power plant, neither of which exist in Vinden Prime, so perhaps that's why his attempt failed? But why, in spite of failing, it proved apocalyptic and creationary all at the same time? That I couldn't possibly tell you, and neither will the show. So Adam and Claudia wander upstairs. I don't know if the damage we see to Adam's little hidey hole at this point is intended to be the result of the 2020 apocalypse, or what just happened with prisoner Marta, or the fire that Trinity Boy set at the start of the season. Though, if this isn't the result of that fire, then I have no idea what the point of that scene was in the first place, just as I have no idea what the point of Trinity Boy was as a whole. Not that I'm saying I don't understand his purpose as a red herring and a bridge between the worlds. I'm saying that I don't really get why he had to be this bizarre threefold person who almost never speaks and literally never blinks and goes around killing people with only the vaguest motive of preserve the knot. He's a prime example, I guess, of another of the big problems I have with this season. He is style over substance. He's all aesthetic. There's largely nothing to him beyond that, which is the same problem I have with other smaller things like the change in the Vinden B tunnels, which leads to 2052 instead of 1953, just so the show doesn't have to plot out a better way to introduce the sand apocalypse aesthetic, or like the constant reiteration of Vinden A scenes in Vinden B for the sole purpose of treading water while the more substantial parts of the plot slot into place. It's style over substance and I showed up here for substance. Anyway, I'd have liked to have spared you all that, says Claudia, but your path had to remain unchanged. Every step had to be taken exactly as before, up until this moment. 
So now we're back in this concept of the show being a Groundhog Day loop instead of a knot, and I will not pay that idiot notion another moment of my time. It is not a loop, it is a knot, there is no before, there is no doing things differently this time, and I'm going to explain to you in a minute why the show falls apart with a nonsense claim otherwise, so just hold on a second, okay? This has happened, Claudia says, an infinite number of times before. She is wrong, and that is stupid, but for now, let's just hear her out. She says that this conversation, the one she and Adam are having right now, is happening for the first time in The Loop that I will remind you does not exist. But I guess we'll get back to that thought, because for now, we have to deal with dumbass Eva. She's trying to tell Marta B that everything is fine. It doesn't matter that they kill everyone, because killing everyone is what lets everyone live. So long as the knot remains tied and tangled, her son, the one she didn't even know she was pregnant with until this exact moment, will be able to go to Agnes, create Tronti, and kick off the knotted Nielsen line. And Marta B is properly horrified by the sight of her three-part abomination child, especially when the unblinking baby version of No Name gives her a weird stiff hug while the other two creep up on her like they want to eat her alive. Remember when I said Eric waking in the bunker was one of the most disturbing things in the show? I take it back. This blows that scene out of the water completely. This is one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. But Marta B is somehow convinced. In order to keep herself and everyone that she loves alive, she has to have this awful child. And for that to happen, she has to uphold the knot, which means that she has to kill Splinter Jonas. So she does. Back to Claudia. Your two worlds should have never existed, she says, as if she is not in fact part of the Vinden A universe. She has clearly tried to dissociate herself from it, which is not terribly surprising given what she's done. She's trying to think of herself as Claudia Prime in order to justify the murder-suicide-slash-genocide that she's trying to commit. She tells Adam that he and Eva should never exist, that Adam and Eva and both of their worlds are like a cancer, that the Prime Universe is the only one that should exist. And she has a very selfish, nefarious reason for thinking this, and we're almost to my discussion of that, but first, let's look at the next little tidbit buried in her dialogue. I've spent 33 years looking for answers in your world and hers, she says, and this directly contradicts what she's going to say in a little bit, so don't forget this line. You're going to need this line. The 33 years she's talking about are the 33 years between when she enters the bunker as businesswoman Claudia and when she goes through the stabilized wormhole as crone Claudia. We can account for those 33 years. They coincide with the 33 years that aged Jonas from teen to adult. Don't forget this. For now, we're on to the next scene. Turns out Tronti is not Regina's dad after all, meaning that Regina is not part of the loop. Meaning that if Claudia destroys it, if Claudia can remove the entire Nielsen line from existence by cutting the knot, then Regina will not be erased from the timeline. One wonders what Claudia would have done if Regina had been part of the knot, because at the end of the day, Regina truly seems to be Claudia's only real motivation. Claudia's goal in all of this is nothing but to save Regina, and she's made it exceptionally clear that she'll kill anyone and everyone in order to save an alternate universe version of her daughter, a version of her daughter that she doesn't even know, born to a Claudia that is not actually her. She will do anything up to and including instructing Tronti to kill Regina, the Regina who actually is her daughter. It is horrific. Now, Claudia does say here that she's been searching for a way to save both worlds. I can't say that I find this claim particularly believable, but I have no concrete reasons on hand to outright discount it, so let's say she's telling the truth. What's more interesting about this part of the story is that the supposed moment of realization for her, the on-screen instant when she appears to be suddenly stricken by the reality that Vinden Prime must have produced Vinden A and Vinden B with its destruction, 
is nonsensical and unprompted. She's putting her hair up, getting ready to play Claudia B for a little while, and suddenly she just seems to know that Vin and Prime exists. Like, sure. Why not? Why not anything at this point? She needed to know this for the plot to happen, and so she simply realized it all of a sudden, wholly unprompted and out of the blue. What a very satisfying plot development. That is definitely the way a story should unfold. Randomly and without cause. Perfect. You nailed it, guys. And from this moment, Claudia becomes the villain of the show. I'm not kidding. This is the moment in which Claudia becomes the villain of this entire story. This is the moment when Claudia decides that she will destroy two entire universes so that one version of her daughter, a version that she does not and will not ever know, will live. Not that she'll live a good life, or a long life, or a happy life, just that she will live. And all it takes is the teensy tiny price of two entire universes worth of people, other animals, plants, and other life forms. Any aliens out there minding their own business? Yeah, Claudia's gonna kill them. Because of Regina. You know, the bitch that openly derided the idea of caring about Eric's disappearance? That Regina. That one. She's the one we're killing everyone and everything for. Her. Seriously, there are nearly 8 billion people in the world as of 2020. Multiply that by 2 to account for Vin and B. Now, count all of the people who have already died before 2020 because we're erasing them from existence, too. According to a 2012 article from the BBC, and I will link it in the show notes, that's probably around another 100 billion dead people per universe. And then there's everyone born after the apocalypse in Vin and A 2020, and, if anyone survived it, Vin and B 2019. We have no idea how many people that would be, so let's just round 2020's nearly 8 billion up to a solid 8 billion. That means Claudia is choosing to save a hypothetical Regina that she has no evidence of, no knowledge of, and will never meet over the lives of 216 billion people. But what about all the people in Vinden Prime, you ask? Isn't she saving them too? Honestly, I don't know. We don't know how this works. Did Vinden Prime get destroyed or did it get erased? A destruction and an erasure are not the same thing. A destruction means that everyone in Vinden Prime dies when Tanhouse fucks up, but they still lived. Past tense, they lived. An erasure, though, means that they never lived. If it's an erasure, Claudia could hypothetically restore up to 105 billion people. That is approximately 100 billion to represent everyone who's already dead in Vinden Prime, and 5 billion to represent the living population of the world in the mid-80s when that apocalypse happened. If Claudia erases Vinden A and Vinden B to undo the erasure of Vinden Prime, that means she is erasing 216 billion people to restore the existence of 105 billion people. It is not great numbers, that's for sure. But if Claudia erases Vinden A and Vinden B to undo the destruction of Vinden Prime, she is erasing 216 billion people to resurrect 5 billion abysmal numbers, woefully unbalanced scales, holy fuck. And again, she will not be saving anyone in Vinden A or Vinden B. Season 3 has taken considerable time to show us that people are not the same across universes. Marta A and Marta B are different people. Francisca A and Francisca B are different people. Benny A and Benny B are different people. Charlotte A and Charlotte B are different people. Therefore, Benny Prime will be a whole different person, as will Hannah Prime and Katarina Prime and Voller Prime and Regina Prime, and Marta, Francisca, Charlotte, and everyone else within the knot will be sacrificed outright. 
It is a solution, yes, but it's genocide. I don't know why we're sugarcoating this or presenting this as something bittersweet. Breaking the knot is at the very least a mass murder, and erasing both universes is literal genocide on an unimaginable scale. So let's move on to my next point. Claudia here is no different than Adam has been all along. Preserve the past events of the knot to make sure that you still exist so that you can destroy the knot in your preferred fashion, which means that Claudia needed to manipulate everyone else into playing their part exactly in the way that upholds the knot, just like Adam and Eva wanted. Except that Adam did not actually want that. Adam just wanted to break the knot. He only thought that he could only break the knot as old man Adam by destroying the Infinity Baby because Claudia spent 66 years convincing him that the knot could not be broken in the past and he had to do everything the same way. Seriously, think about it. Again, let's set aside the time won't let you bullshit for now. If Claudia can change things and she claims that she is changing them right now, then things can be changed. If Claudia had to make sure that everyone did what they've always done, then they could have done otherwise. And so what was the first thing that Jonas wanted to change? He wanted to take Mikkel and bring him home, but his older self, the self that had been convinced by Claudia that the past had to happen the way it always happened, convinced him not to. But what would have happened if he had rescued Mikkel? Well, the show wants to have it both ways, doesn't it? We've been led to believe that he never could have changed it. Quote, time won't allow it. Jonas puts a gun to his head and it won't fire because time intervenes somehow. If Jonas tried to take Mikkel through the caves, then the gun scene tells us that time will again intervene somehow to make sure that Mikkel cannot travel through. And if Jonas refused to take Mikkel through the caves the first time, if we believe the gun assertion, time would somehow have forced Mikkel through regardless except Claudia is telling us the opposite. She claims that events within the loop can be changed. The gun scene, I guess, was a fucking coincidence then? I am fully serious. She is not arguing that they are finally beyond the confines of the knot, and so now they have an opportunity to excise it. Or at least that's not what she's arguing in the English translation of her dialogue. She is claiming that after 33 years, she finally knows what detail to change. So what I'm saying is... Claudia is the actual reason for the knot. Not Adam, not Eva, not the Infinity Baby. Claudia is the reason Mikkel stays in the past, the reason Jonas is born, the reason Jonas meets Marta and creates the Infinity Baby. If things can be changed and Claudia, in direct defiance of last episode's gun scene, is saying that they can, then they could have been changed at any point. What would have happened then? I have no idea. None at all. A grandfather paradox, perhaps, but that would spit in the face of everything that's come before. This has been, from the beginning, a stable time loop, and grandfather paradoxes inherently do not happen in stable time loops. But Claudia is proposing that change is possible, and though the show refuted that in the previous episode, it is endorsing it in this episode, which means that grandfather paradoxes are possible after all, and it all just makes me so fucking angry at the unacknowledged contradiction that I can't fucking see straight. That the show literally does end up using a grandfather paradox as the ultimate solution makes me regret ever watching the show in the first place. What the fuck happened to the rules? I was literally praising this show as a potential masterpiece for its adherence to its rules. And now we're at fuck the rules? I'm tempted to let the rest of this podcast episode just be one long, uninterrupted, agonized scream. Because that's what this ending deserves. 
But let me get back on track. I was saying how this makes Claudia the reason for the knot, and it does. If change is possible and Claudia was the driving force behind making sure no one changed anything until she found the perfect thing to change, then Claudia is the reason that no change has been achieved. The knot is her fault. I don't know what would have happened if she'd stopped facilitating it. If it would have destroyed Vinden A, or Vinden B, or restored Vinden Prime, or whatever else. But I do know that this fucking knot is her fault. She has been the serpent whispering in Adam and Eve's ears all along. Which brings me to the clumsy religious themes that are happening here. Now, I want to preface everything I'm about to say with this. I am not now, nor have I ever been, a Christian. I have no idea what they teach in any specific church in America, in Germany, or anywhere else in the world. What I do know is the cultural understanding of Christianity that gets forced down the throats of atheist Americans. As atheists in America, Christianity is inescapable. Even beyond the Christofascists that are rising in power and will gladly tell you all about how people like me deserve to be tortured for eternity, our culture is largely a Christian supremacist one. You will know a vague outline of the most common stories whether you want to or not. And Dark is an example of that. It is not a show strictly for Christians, but it is a show that deals heavily in Christian themes. Adam and Eva, Heaven and Hell, Noah and his Ark. It happens all the time. In Buffy, for example, no one openly identifies as Christian. Sunnydale, except the Rosenberg family, exists in that nebulous secular TV space of being Christian enough that the network doesn't get complaints and non-Christian enough that the network doesn't get complaints. But they still fight vampires with crosses and holy water. So when I say that I see clumsy religious themes here, I do not mean to say that my analysis of them is going to be any less clumsy. I will be looking at them very specifically from the perspective of a lifelong atheist who has had more than my fair share of Christianity taught to me fully against my will. And now with that said, let's get started. Adam, Eva. Adam and Eve. This is not accidental. They are the originators of the knot. As they are the progenitors of the Infinity Baby, they are the knot's first people and the last. Adam promises paradise but refers to his life as hell. He monologues frequently before the fall of the damned, aka the fall of the rebel angels, painted by Paul Rubens circa 1620. Eva's painting is even less subtle. She just literally has Adam and Eve hanging on her wall in case you somehow misheard her name, I guess. Their goal in this story is to maintain the knot, albeit for different reasons. Eva wants to maintain it forever, while Adam wants to maintain it until he can learn how to break it. Adam explicitly states that he wants to kill God, that time is God, and that he intends to end time by killing an impossibly conceived baby, a baby that is running around as a literalized three faces of Adam. Now, somewhere in there is Noah trying to build an ark, but we're just going to ignore him for now because he's largely irrelevant, I think. Because, again, this is very clumsy indeed. Back to my point. We've got time slash God, we've got Adam and Eve, and we've got a mystically conceived baby. What's missing? Who else is in that portrait of Adam and Eve? Yeah. There's a little snake up there whispering shit in Adam and Eve's ear, trying to give them the bit of knowledge they're lacking that will get them kicked out of paradise. In modern Christianity, this character is commonly interpreted as a disguise of the devil. And where have we heard that in this show? Since season two, Claudia has been inexplicably labeled the white devil. And what is she doing right now? Well, she has spent 33 years feeding lies to Adam and Eva in order to trick them into doing what she wanted, and now she is giving Adam the little bit of knowledge he has been lacking that will allow him to destroy his universe and Eva's. 
It is a clumsy ass metaphor, but there is zero chance that it was unintentional. By naming your characters Adam and Eva and calling the person who comes to drop secret knowledge right at the end the White Devil, this inherently becomes a metaphor for the most basic, bare-bones, common knowledge understanding of Genesis. Just as Adam and Eve listened to that serpent, ate that fruit, and got kicked out of the garden, Adam and Eva listened to Claudia, used the knowledge they learned from her interference, and get erased from existence altogether. And if you don't like that interpretation, don't worry, it gets dumber. Claudia tells Adam that the way out of the loop, the way to snip the knot, is to enter the moment when time stood still. The moment God blinked, if you will. Go to the apocalypse and use the moment when time stands still to reach Vinden Prime. Yes, there has never been so much as a hint of foreshadowing that Vinden Prime can be reached, but we kinda explained that branch points can be created in the moment when time stands still, so that's almost the same as foreshadowing this, right? Wrong, says I, but who cares about my opinion? Not the writers, that's for sure. So basically what's happening here is that the show is trying to say that change really can only occur in the moment when time stands still, right before the apocalypse. In all other moments, time itself, or God as Adam calls it, will force the gun against Eunice's temple not to fire, metaphorically or literally speaking. At all other moments, time cannot be changed. Except if that is the case... Why did everyone have to work so hard to make sure that time wasn't changed? So, we get another Vinden A versus Vinden B parallelism scene, this time with Ulrich B trying to kill Helga B as an adult, interspersed with Ulrich A trying to kill Helga A as a child. Helgi survives in both worlds, as we already know, but Ulrich does not. While he spends the rest of his life in a mental hospital in Vinden A, he is killed in Vinden B by old man Helgi. Honestly, good. He was trying to commit murder, and he's got even less reason in Vinden B than he had in Vinden A. Good on old man Helgi for taking out his attacker. Except, here's a quick question. It was implied that Ulrich A's attack on Helgi A left Helgi with lifelong brain damage. Greta refers to him as being different after the attack, and the actor playing adult Helgi portrays the character as if he has an intellectual disability beyond simply struggling in school, as Claudia's tutoring scenes implied. Except, adult Helgi B behaves identically to adult Helgi a, even though B was never attacked as a child. So... Also, the rape that served as his conception turned out to be nothing. Literally why include an implied rape if it wasn't a clue? A rape thrown into the story for no narrative purpose is a rape that shouldn't be in your story. Get it out of there. God. But then we're back to Claudia, who manages to complicate things even further. Eva explained the divergence point in the apocalypse as creating alternate pathways that exist simultaneously and each affect both Vinden A and Vinden B. She described it as a kind of an inside and an outside line of the infinity symbol. Both choices exist because both choices must. So here's what happened in previous divergence points. Let's take a quick little look. In one version of the 2020 apocalypse in Vinden A, Marta B arrives to take Jonas to Vinden B. That is one path. In another version of the 2020 apocalypse in Vinden B, Marta B does not take Jonas to Vinden B. That is the second path. Now, I have been calling that first path Vinden AA, and I've explained it at length before, so I'll just mention it again. Jonas abandoning Vinden A should not mean that Vinden AA does not exist. The show wants us to believe that it does mean that, and we have to go along with this assertion if we want the show to work, but it doesn't make sense even with the way Eva explains it in-universe. Two parallel paths, she says. You take one or the other, but both have to exist for the not to exist, which means that you take both. This brings our world count up to three. Vinden A, Vinden AA, and Vinden B. 
Then there's the pivot point of the 2019 apocalypse and Vin B. We've only seen one path so far. Marta B goes with Francisca A and Magnus A, which leads her to her ultimate destruction at Adam's hands. This episode, though, will introduce us to further pivots at this point, but we'll get to that in a minute. For now, let's look at what Claudia says. She claims that this moment is new and different, and again, this does not make sense. Because she used the pivot point of one of the apocalypses, A's, I assume, to put herself onto a new and different path. I repeat, in order for the knot to exist, in order to not create a grandfather paradox which would supposedly make the knot collapse, then all paths created must continue to exist. So what does that mean for Vinden A? A fucking mess. At the apocalypse of Vinden A, Marta creates one branch off, Vinden AA, and now we've learned that Claudia creates another, which I suppose I'll have to call Vinden AB. So when Claudia claims that she is not the Claudia who was killed, she is not lying. She fractured the universe herself, creating Vinden AB, and it is Claudia AB who is talking to Adam right now. Except that that would throw everything into question. If this were Claudia AB, then is she in Vinden AB? Vinden A? Because what's really happening here is that the show doesn't want you to believe that there is a Vinden AA or a Vinden AB. The show wants nothing but Vinden A, Vinden B, and Vinden Prime to exist. And that's the point of that stupid bullshit they were trying to use about Schrodinger's cat and quantum entanglement. Except this is not what those concepts mean. It's just utterly not. And yet the only way for this to make sense is to pretend that that's what those concepts mean. It's to pretend that Marta B exists in some kind of a quantum superposition wherein she both fetches Jonas and goes with Bartas B. It's to pretend that Jonas exists in some kind of a quantum superposition wherein he both goes with Marta B and never meets Marta B. It is to pretend that Claudia exists in some kind of a quantum superposition where she both dies in her confrontation with Noah and yet still has this talk with Adam. I cannot tell you how utterly livid I am that the show I thought was the best, most logical portrayal of time travel I have ever seen has resolved its story by pretending that it's possible for people, people, literal whole entire people, to have quantum superpositions. People, in case anyone is unclear, fundamentally cannot have quantum superpositions, just like Schrodinger's cat cannot actually be in the quantum superposition of being both alive and dead at the same time, neither can Marta B, nor Jonas, nor Claudia. Jesus fucking Christ. Now, if you don't care about this, and you can sit back and enjoy this plot development, more power to you, but I truly cannot emphasize to you enough that Schrodinger's cat and the internet's misunderstanding of it is one of my absolute biggest pet peeves. And I really thought I had a new favorite show on my hands, and then they threw their misunderstanding of Schrodinger's goddamn cat in my face, and I genuinely almost cried. There is a point in my reaction video of this episode where I was just so upset, so crushed by the realization that this show had just completely ruined itself for me that I was honestly blinking back tears on camera, and I have never teared up on camera before in my life. So, I really do want to emphasize that I am not criticizing the show here for the fun of it. I am attempting to coherently communicate my thoughts and feelings on the ending of this show, and ultimately, I was unimaginably devastated by it. This, then, is my attempt to communicate and to explain that devastation. 
because it gets worse. Claudia sends Adam to the Vinden A pivot point and creates another fracture universe that the show wants you to believe instead is a quantum superposition. In this version, Marta B does not take Jonas to Vinden B, nor does Jonas survive the Vinden A apocalypse in the basement of his house. Instead, Adam arrives to take Jonas to Vinden B, which means that Vinden B must inherently fracture as well. Because now there is a version of Vinden B in which Marta B willingly goes with Francisca A and Magnus A to Vinden A, and a version of Vinden B in which Marta B unwillingly goes with Jonas to Vinden A. Now, more happens in this final episode between the various Jonas's and Marta's, emotionally speaking. I'm not going to recap any of that shit because I honestly do not care, and because the script for this episode is already nearly 13,000 words, which is excessive and obsessive even for me. So, sandwiched between unnecessary emotional scenes that make little sense and add little value, the Adam and Eva scene in particular is nonsense because it implies that things are already changing even though young Jonas and Marta haven't done anything yet and Adam hasn't actually done anything in front of Eva that contradicts what she knows will happen. Marta B and Jonas head into the caves to wait for the apocalypse. They're going to go into the tunnels when the apocalypse happens so that they can go to Vinden Prime, which doesn't actually make any sense. First and foremost, I want to remind everyone that there is already someone in the tunnels when the 2020 Vinden A apocalypse happens. That was when Katarina time-traveled and saw that yellow glowing light that made me think she was universe hopping instead of time-traveling. Which means that Katarina and Jonas and Marta B are in the tunnels at the same time. That's not impossible, I guess? And I don't know, maybe I'd think it was clever foreshadowing if this had actually been done properly. But ugh. I have more important questions right now than Katarina. How does being in the tunnels during the apocalypse send them into what's ostensibly a destroyed world? Uh, who knows? And the writers don't care. They don't have an answer. This is another one of those things that I would have been willing to hand wave away if the rest of the writing had been competent. But I've just spent the last 13,000 words explaining why it's not. So there you go. Anyway. For some reason, Katarina using the tunnel during the apocalypse means that she travels in time, but Marta B and Jonas using the tunnel during the apocalypse means that they travel to a meta-tunnel, I guess. And don't try to tell me that Katarina traveled after the apocalypse, because the apocalypse causes the tunnel to completely collapse, so she must have gone through while the apocalypse was still happening. The answer must inherently be that it's just because Jonas and Marta B are A, from alternate universes, B, the parents of the Infinity Baby and the originators of the Knot, or C, all of the above. Now, I don't hate the concept of the meta tunnel, I almost like it. The cave tunnels take you to three supposedly connected points in time, and the meta tunnel takes you to three connected universes. That is kind of fun, and I don't inherently hate the concept of using the tunnel during the apocalypse being the thing that takes you to the meta tunnel. I could see myself really loving this if everything around it was structurally sound. But it's not. Let's first get it out of the way that the design of this tunnel is hilariously stupid. It is everything I expect from really bad sci-fi. I hate it. I really do. But moreover, the apocalypse supposedly exists in all three worlds, and according to Claudia, it only decimates life on Earth in Vinden A and Vinden B. According to her, and I don't know where she got this information, so I have no idea if I'm supposed to find it trustworthy or not, Vinden Prime is destroyed entirely in the apocalypse. So how the hell are Jonas and Marta accessing it right now? Moreover, how can the metatunnel connect the apocalypse point of Vinden A and Vinden B with a point in Vinden Prime's timeline that's so far before Prime's apocalypse as to prevent it? Like, what? How? Huh? 
But before we get there, we get even more shit that makes no sense. Jonas can't find Martaby, and Martaby cannot find him. But in the nonsense void that is the meta-tunnel, they see each other's past selves. Jonas sees baby Marta, who looks into her closet and sees him standing in the meta-tunnel. Marta B sees baby Jonas, who looks into his basement to see her standing in the meta-tunnel. And when Jonas and Marta B finally find each other within the meta-tunnel, they confirm that they remember this shit. This actually happened to them. They saw that shit as children. Which means that this is part of the loop. And of course it does, because the ending rapidly approaching makes no sense if it is not part of the loop. Now, don't get me wrong, the disappearance of Jonas and Marta and Adam and Eva and everyone else means that what happens in the ending is not part of the stable time loop. The disappearance of Jonas and Marta B in the ending, their success in preventing Vinod A and Vinod B from ever existing, creates a grandfather paradox, an impossibility. Follow me, because this is actually very simple. Jonas and Marta B are only born because the knot exists, and the knot only exists because they create it with their actions while they are alive. Jonas and Marta B are now trying to unmake Vinden A and Vinden B by saving Merrick from his car crash, which will both unmake the knot and their own births. They are successful at saving him, which means that Vinden A and Vinden B and the knot and Jonas and Marta never exist, which means that Jonas and Marta B cannot go to Vinden Prime to save Merrick from his car crash, which means that Merrick dies in a car crash, which means that Tanhouse breaks Vinden Prime into Vinden A and Vinden B, and we are right back where we started. It's the Jonas can't save Mikkel because then there would be no Jonas to save Mikkel problem from season one all over again, and the promise the show made way back then was that this time loop was stable. The show built itself up as a universe in which grandfather paradoxes meant collapse of time, and now I find instead that all along I've been watching a story heading toward a resolution that's just a goddamn grandfather paradox. It's just a fucking grandfather paradox. If this is what we were going to do all along, then just take Mikkel out of 1986 and stick him back in his proper time. We were told that that can't happen because a world without Jonas is just as bad. But if Vinden A became a world without Jonas, problem solved. Vinden B is already a world without Jonas. If Vinden A and Vinden B are both worlds with no Jonas, then there is no infinity baby and the problem is fucking solved. This is nonsense. I am so angry, I genuinely might combust. You cannot end this show with a grandfather paradox. A grandfather paradox is the single worst ending I could have ever imagined for this show. And there is so much shoddy scaffolding all around it to try to make it make sense. And it just doesn't work. You look at this story just slightly askance and it falls entirely apart. Seriously, I went onto the dark subreddit a couple times while writing this script for this episode just to double check if I had missed anything, and over there, any time anyone points out that this story doesn't make sense, someone very smugly points to a dark season 3 explained rundown that is full of blatant inaccuracies and has tons of comments about people devolving into fights about whose interpretations are right and what really happened and I guess we'll just have to disagree. And if your story ends on such a note that no one can actually explain the so-called logic behind it, your story and its ending is bad. It's not like I'm saying this ending is bad because it's vague or ambiguous or open to interpretation. It's not even that it's sad. I love those kinds of endings. This one is simply not a logical conclusion to everything that came before it. It is not a culmination of the story that it had been until this point. And so the ending is fucking bad. 
and I don't think I've ever been angrier at a story. Truly, I think the last time I was this angry at a story was the ending of season 6 of Supernatural, wherein they turned my at-the-time favorite character into the villain. I was 17, and I was devastated. And before that, it was that scene in Breaking Dawn. You know the one. I kind of already thought those books were overhyped nonsense, even as a vampire-obsessed 13-year-old, and then that scene happened, and that's been the one and only time I've ever literally thrown a book across a room. But if this final episode had been a book, that count would have gone up to two. Honestly, I'm too drained now to even want to think about this ever again. Like the last season of Game of Thrones just made me sad to think about the rest of it. This third season of Dark just makes me too sad and angry and bitter to even think about returning to the first two seasons. I will someday, maybe, but right now I don't even think I could stomach to read a fix-it fic. I just feel empty. Hannah's bit at the very end is, like, interesting, I guess, but I truly cannot even properly interact with it. Like I said, I just feel drained by everything that happened here. I feel betrayed. Dark wormed its way so far into my good graces that I actually trusted the writers and the story itself, and this ending truly feels like a betrayal. Y'all heard me. I was gushing over how clever this show was, how much thought they had seemed to put into it, how well-structured everything was. And then it just suddenly wasn't anymore. I feel like I'm in mourning for everything that this ending should have been. So... I guess let's try to look on the bright side. Katarina and Regina and Hannah are all alive and well and happy in the ending, and I don't like any of those three bitches, so that's not a happy ending for me. There's Voller, of course, but he's with Hannah here, and though I'm admittedly mad at him over yet another stupid what happened to your eye tease right at the end of the show, being with Hannah is more punishment than Voller could ever deserve. But hey, I found it. I found the right side. I found the silver lining to the cloud of shit that was these last two episodes. The bright side is Peter living and being happy in his relationship with Benny, and even if I couldn't have anything else that I wanted, at least I got that. So, I hope I don't have to say this, but I'm going to say it. Do not contact me trying to tell me that this is a great ending, that I don't understand the ending, that I need to just let you explain it to me so that I can love it as much as you do. I'm not interested. I don't want to hear it. To be honest, I will be happy if I never think about Dark again. I'm not interested in arguing over this ending. I am not interested in trying to convince people who enjoyed it that they should not do so. And I expect the same courtesy in return. I did not make you listen to this episode of my podcast. Don't try to make me listen to your thoughts. I don't want to hear them. I want to put Dark behind me, and I want to move on. Talk to me about some other show instead. Genuinely. So... That is Dark Done. Next week, I'm going to be starting coverage of Archive 81. Beyond that, I don't know what it is that I'm going to be covering. If you are interested in helping me decide what it is that I'm going to be covering, you may be interested in joining my Patreon, where I post polls, helping me decide what it is that I watch, unless I have my own strong opinion, in which case I'm going to be watching what I want to watch. On that list are things like the new season of Stranger Things, the new season of Umbrella Academy, and on. If you are interested in my reaction videos, those are available to $5 patrons. If you enjoyed this podcast, good for you. I'm glad you managed to make it through all the ranting. You may be interested in leaving a rating or a review on your podcatcher of choice. You may be interested in talking about the show on social media or telling a friend about it. All of that would be very appreciated. If you don't want to do any of that, that is perfectly fine. Like I said, I'm going to be back next week with my coverage of the first two episodes of Archive 81. I hope it is going to be more enjoyable than this was. I don't know. But with all of that said, 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you join me next time, and I hope I have a bit less ranting in my future, because this was really rough. Let me fix that typo real quick. Where did it go? There you go. Ah.